seat, I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter uh, 3, 1 Peter chapter 3, if you'll be finding that uh, with me this morning. And uh, what a wonderful day and opportunity we have to worship uh, the Lord Jesus uh, together. I thank the Lord for the good news uh, that we are hearing uh, out of Montana. I shared a report um, with you a couple of weeks ago just about uh, the church plant in the Heights, Jim and Brandy Caburn, how well that's been going. Uh, I received another update uh, about six or seven days ago uh, from Josh Charette, the Great Plains Gathering. And for any of you who've ever been to Montana years ago and we were going to uh, reservations and we were doing Indian family camp and uh, we were just trying to make any kind of inroad we could out there. I am thankful to tell you that God's raised up a conservative Presbyterian Native American uh, pastor who loves Jesus. He's training other people to reach Native Americans and to serve the Lord faithfully. Our team that went out this summer was able to help them with a house. Uh, one of the praises he had in his uh, testimony and in his newsletter was just that he's already got a church planter in that house. And so uh, he's got two houses now. Both of them he has uh, folks in there that he is training and encouraging and uh, challenging them to uh, be used of the Lord to reach indigenous people here, Native Americans here, and uh, really just wherever the Lord calls them. And so we're just really, really thankful to God uh, for that and for the part that we have to play in that. And uh, we rejoice in God's faithfulness toward that, but we also want to call you to prayer. We Our, our missions team is meeting. Our church council guys are meeting, talking about uh, Lottie Moon uh, Christmas offering. Our missions team is. And our church council guys got to meet with Wes and Kim Page the other night and hear about their vision trip uh, to Thailand. And we were excited to hear uh, what the Lord is putting on their heart uh, to accomplish. And I don't care to tell you today, it's going to take God to get the pages to the mission field. Uh, it just takes a ton of money to get their family from here over to northern Thailand where they can hopefully encounter uh, several people from a big country of Asia that they minister to, but also really just an unreached people group there in northern Thailand. And so... Um, we, we're praying with them, we're praying for them, and we want to encourage you to be praying for Wes and Kim well, that they're going to be patiently waiting and preparing and trusting the Lord. And then at the appropriate time and season when we hear from the Lord, we're going to present some things hopefully to you that will be more concrete that you can be praying about and thinking about. And so we want to encourage you to be praying as our mission team gathers, as our church council folks are meeting with the pages, and then if you're glad to have the Davises home on furlough as well, would you affirm that by saying amen? amen. There is a shower today uh, for Caleb and his fiance from 2.30 to 4.30 up in the student center, is that right? And uh, so if you would like to come by and celebrate with that family, we would love for you uh, to do that. And uh, I know Kerr, if you guys are saying, man, preacher, you guys are just throwing these showers on us one right after another. Kerr threw it on us, I can just tell you that, uh, and so we had not planned that, but we're really thankful for the way that you all love our families, um, the way that you love not only your staff, whether it's uh, Tracy and I, or Justin Ashley, or Brian and Jenny, or now Taylor and Kaylee, or 
uh, Craig and Angie in times past and them on the mission field. We're really grateful for the way that you love us. And so we want to encourage you, if you have time this afternoon, run by and celebrate with them. Uh, they're going to be getting married December, what's the date? December 21st. Caleb knows that date well. And so uh, it is soon. You're going to be a married man. You know that. Life is about to change. But it's going to change in a good, good way, right? And so um, we are thankful for that. 1 Peter chapter 3, a picture of practical holiness. A picture of practical holiness. Sometimes when we use that word holiness, it's really hard to understand, isn't it? It's, it's really hard to say, okay, I'm supposed to be holy even as the Lord is holy. Uh, pastors said, and I've heard before that, you know, the very definition of holiness is that we are set apart, right? But besides this being set apart, we learned last week, right, about God's part of holiness and righteousness, um, where we talked about that it's impossible for us to have the righteousness of Christ or the holiness of Christ apart from the work of Christ on the cross, right? And so it, it's this imputation, this double imputation that occurs at the cross. He takes all of our sin. He gives us all of his righteousness when we become born again. And so it's, it's outworking of his righteousness that produces holiness in his followers. But today I want us to read together First uh, Peter. I'm, I'm going to even turn you over to Second Peter real quick because here's the blessing that I'm finding in First and Second Peter. Um, when you read First and Second Peter in the missionary context in which it was being addressed, there's a wonderful theology for our missionary task before us. There is this identity, this identity that we should embody, sojourners and exiles. And because we are different people, there's this lifestyle that we wholeheartedly embrace, this Christ working in us, working out of us, this idea of his holiness marking us and us gladly receiving that and then walking in that. It's a, a wonderful picture of understanding that in that he gives us this word to proclaim. And when you read First and Second Peter, it just falls off the pages. It just this idea that we have this sure prophetic word that God has called us to proclaim and that it never fades away and it's for all peoples at all times and that it's the thing that we're to do is to proclaim this message and then we are to hope in our God and hope in this sure word that he's given us. Hope until uh, Jesus comes for us again. Hope for all eternity. And so I want us to begin reading in verse 8 down through 12 today. And in it's in 1 Peter 3 here where he's talking about holiness and he's talking about how we relate to our employer, how we relate to our wives, how we relate to our husbands. He gets to this place about how we suffer for righteousness sake, how we are to live holy in the midst of persecution, how are we to live marked by Christ in a culture that is not uh, openly welcoming of the gospel and the gospel message. How do we navigate that type of culture and that type of setting? And Peter says this in verse 8, 1 Peter chapter 3. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil 
or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessed, for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good and let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Finally, all of you, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, tender heart, a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Look at chapter 4, 1 Peter chapter 4. Just flip over there right quick to help you understand this lifestyle of holiness. This lifestyle of letting God not only work in us, but work out of us. He says in verse 3 of chapter 4, For the time that has passed suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless adultery. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying, you're, you are believers now, and your life is marked by a difference. This is the way that you once lived. This is the way Gentiles who are unbelievers or who are unconverted, they're not believers. This is how they live. And notice what he says in verse 4. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. That means they speak evil of you. They make fun of you. They marginalize you because you are not with that crowd. Flip over to 2 Peter chapter 1. And look at verse 3. This, this whole picture as Peter's writing these epistles to these dispersed believers who are encountering some form of um, persecution because the culture in which they are living are, is totally opposite from what God's called them to be. He says to them in first, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3, His divine power, the Lord's divine power, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. This is all God's work, right? When you come to Christ, he gives us a new nature, a new desire. And then he says in verse 5, For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. This is our part now, right? This call to holiness. Here's a, just another picture, uh, another, another strand of thread that he's weaving throughout this idea of, your sojourners, your exiles, you're not built for this land. You are to live differently. You are marked with the righteousness and holiness of Christ. And he says, for this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, with self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. 
For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now he's talking about being marked and putting on these things. But we know that by the putting on of things, it can't allow us to be born again. So what is the relation that Peter is saying? Peter is saying, when you are born again, the holiness and righteousness of God is going to work in you, and it's going to work out of you, and our responsibility is to put on these things. And so if you look back with me at 1 Peter chapter 3, we're just going to work through verses 8 and 9 together today. And we're going to look at this a context of early Christian mission as Peter, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives us a picture of practical holiness. What does it mean for us to be holy even as God is holy? What does it mean to have all of our sins removed and all the righteousness of Christ accredited to our account? What does that mean practically? Is there anyone here that just feels holy every day? Anybody here? I just don't feel that way. A matter of fact, as I was working through these texts this week, I just felt like there were several times I just said, God, I'm not that. I'm thankful I don't have to preach from experience. I can't preach past my experience, but I don't preach from experience because I don't know, not only can I not preach this text, I don't know of a personal life that could preach this text if we had to do it according to our perfect practice or to our perfect maturity. I read that text and I just say, God, I have so far to go in this whole idea of practical holiness. And so today you may be here and you may say, Pastor, I don't feel really holy. And a matter of fact, if you said to me, I want you to write down seven attributes or characteristics of people that are just exercising holiness in an everyday, uh, every way, practical way, I would say to you that uh, we would be hard-pressed sometimes to do that. But right here before us, Peter just sort of lays it out. What does a lifestyle of holiness look like? What does it look like? Does it mean we withdraw from culture, that we live communally, that we drive a horse and buggy, and that we wear black and white clothes? Is that what it means to live holy? For there are some people who would say, yes, that's, that's what it means to live a holy, distinct, set-apart life. Or does it mean that we prefer ladies to wear long skirts when they come to worship with their hair in a bun and men in suits and ties carrying the coffee table big bible how many of y'all remember what i'm talking about right it's this thick and it's this wide and they had wire framed glasses and it was just that whole picture of fundamentalism in the 60s and 70s and 80s is it does it mean that's what it means to be holy right that we either live so communally that we're different than the culture in which God's put us, or that we are uh, representing a current trend or a lifestyle or a culture? Does it mean we wear jeans and flannel and stocking hats year-round, using our iPhone or our phone for our Bible? What does it mean, what does it look like to be holy? And I would say to you today that practical everyday holiness looks the same in any culture at any time because it's not a set of rules and regulations. But what it is is a lifestyle of the Holy Spirit having freedom in your heart and in your life to move. Jerry Bridges, who has now gone home to be with the Lord, he has written no short amount of uh, information 
and study on this subject of Christian holiness, the righteousness of God being worked in and out of the believer. How is it that we as Christians are sanctified? How is it that you leave this place today more like Jesus than when you came in, right? And here's what Jerry Bridges had to say. He said, holiness is not, as it is so often thought, adherence to a set rules. It is conformity to the very character of God. It's nothing more than that. It's nothing less. It is God's plan for us. For the Lord has predestined us to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. That's why Paul writes in Romans 8, 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. What does this practical, everyday holiness look like? Uh, Peter gives us a bunch of examples all throughout First and Second Peter, but just for the sake of time today and tracking along in this series, I want to give you five of those that you see in verses 8 and 9. Practical everyday holiness in the life of a maturing Christian, first of all, encourages unity of mind, unity of mind and purpose among the church. Listen to what he says right there. Finally, all of you have unity of mind. Literally, this word means like-mindedness. Paul says it this way to the saints at Rome in Romans chapter 12, verse 16, when he says, Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation, but have this same mind toward one another. He speaks of this same-mindedness in Philippians chapter 2, when he talks about, let us have the mind of Christ, right? And so what, what does practical holiness look like on the uh, get-go here in Peter's writing? He would say, holiness encourages a unity of mind and purpose amongst the body of Christ. The word literally means one and the same mind, having a common mindset, but not necessarily all the same tastes or gifts or habits. The idea is that there, there are those of us who should possess the same thoughts and assessments of all the essential doctrines of the Christian life, all the important things of the Christian life. We should think alike concerning those things, but concerning those non-essential issues of life, we have freedom to be able to think differently about that. So Peter is not referring here when he says you should have this same mind and be thinking together. He's not thinking or talking here uh, about some... Uh, minute detail or thinking about something that, uh, that has no consequence at all, but he's referring to a unity on these major points of Christian doctrine and practice, things such as the deity of Christ, the humanity of Christ, the Holy Trinity, justification by grace alone through faith, not of works, right? That's a major. We are saved by grace through faith. If you believe that, say amen. Now, those are major doctrines of the faith that we all need to agree upon and be thinking in the same way toward. How is it that a person is born again? How is it that a person's sins are forgiven, they can receive Christ, and then they can have a home in heaven? And concerning those type of deep doctrinal issues, here's what Peter is saying. Holiness looks like everyone encouraging one another in the same mindedness concerning those different things. Sometimes people will say to me, Pastor, why do we have different denominations? Why, why are there Baptists and Methodists and Pentecostals and why are there Presbyterians and 
Wesleyans and all these different uh, groups of, and denominations. It's because sometimes we differ on what those essentials of the faith really are. And I would say to you, it's vitally, vitally important that we major together and we have unity, a like-mindedness about what those things are. Unity does not mean uniformity, right? You do not have to wear a pumpkin-colored sweater vest and a black shirt and look like a big pumpkin in order for us to all have unity together, right? You, you have freedom to dress the way that you want to dress. You don't have to uh, drive the same kind of car, live in the same kind of house. You don't have to like the same kind of entertainment or a TV show. You don't have to like the same kind of food. None of those things are essential, right? None of those things are essential. But pertaining to how does a person come to faith in Christ? Is God, does God present himself in holy scriptures as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit? Those types of issues we are completely together on. If you understand the need of that, say amen. We state that this way in our Connecting with Calvary material. We've been doing this for a lot of years now. In essentials, we have unity. In non-essentials, what's a non-essential? Can we eat in the church or not eat in the church? Some of you may say, we should never eat in the church. And somebody else may say, no, it's okay to eat in the church. And so we're going to have chili and hot dogs up in the student center on Wednesday night. And somebody may say, well, that, is that a non-essential? And I would say to you, it's absolutely a non-essential. You should not divide your worship on a non-essential. If you're understanding, track with me like this. All right? Uh, should a woman wear a skirt or a dress to church? Should she not? I would say to you, that's nowhere on the radar, not even a non-essential, but let's classify that as a non-essential. I would say to you, we, we do not break fellowship or worship or forsake the assembling of thyselves together on such issues. If I'm clear this morning, nod at me like this. Those non-essential issues, we would say and teach, like the historic church has done, in non-essentials, we have tremendous liberty. And in all issues of the faith, and in all issues of the Christian life, we have charity, or in other words, we have love. And so the application is this. Are you open to God showing you whether your attitude or action contributes or detracts from the harmony in the local church, in your family, in your marriage, in your workplace, in your community? Do you have a mind of like-mindedness? Are you looking to agree or are you looking to disagree? Here's what I am finding the older I get. At 55, have any of you men found this to be true? At 55, man, I'm finding there's a whole lot more things in life that I'm having to adjust to and I don't necessarily like. Any of you ever men, any of you men here ever go through something like that where you raise your hand? I just think to myself, that ain't right. We were talking to Caleb and Ruthie the other night. They were talking about their choice of what they were going to use in some form of how they're going to take care of their baby. And I was saying, man, it's, it's hard to beat Huggies in a big old tub of Desident, man. Just keep, keep some wet wipes, right? Keep some wet wipes and keep some Desident and keep some Huggies, and you're going to go a long way. And they're like, what is that stuff, Dad? What are you talking about? And I'm thinking to myself, Man, that's going to have to be a non-essential for me because we are on two different completely wavelengths. So he'll text me, Levi will do it. They'll text me and they'll say, 
hey, I've watched this show. You ought to watch it. And I'll say, what was the name of it? And they'll tell me. I said, where do I find that? And they'll say, StubHub or what, what's that one place? Uh, I, I know you are thinking StubHub. That's about what I think, right, of it. Uh, no, not Hulu. What's the other one? Netflix. No, I know Netflix. Give me the other one. <laughs> Give me. Tracy don't know herself. But, right, there's like 20 now or 30 different streaming things. And I'm just thinking to myself and, you know, all the guys, they're having communication between their self. Why, why should we pay for this big internet and cable, man, when you can just stream it and you can get it for this cheap? And I'm thinking, I do good to answer my phone, right? What are you saying, pastor? Listen to what I'm saying today. In my family, that's got to be a non-essential. Now, I may go outside and talk with my dog and say, Wrigley, what's the world coming to, man? What is the world coming to? But here's the truth of the matter. Listen to me. That has nothing to do with whether Jesus is Lord and how he's called us to live. If you understand that, say amen. All right, and so are we striving and working toward unity in the body of Christ? And if you say, preacher, if my life's marked by holiness, am I going to be working toward unity? You absolutely are. And if you're one of those people here who are a unifier, I want to say to you, um, that's the work of the Holy Spirit working in you. Calling you, drawing you right to unity. Here's the second thing. Holiness can be seen in a practical way as we demonstrate the love of Christ to other believers. He says in verse 8, he uses three words. Have sympathy, brotherly love, and a tender heart. He uses these three words to convey how we are to love one another while we are on mission together. This first word that Peter uses, sympathy, is a feeling for or a capacity for sharing the interests of another. This sympathetic individual is more than someone who just shows compassion, but they are able to feel, they're able to have an affinity with people who are suffering, who are struggling. Sympathy often suggests a tender concern and can imply a power to enter into another person's experience and feel what that person is feeling. The word literally means it, it implies this close, intimate association. And, and we're able to suffer with people. We're able to experience misfortune with one another. We're able to describe a sincere feeling for and with the needs of others. That's what this... This idea of sympathy means. And Peter is saying in a culture where sympathy seems to be waning, won't you feel what others feel? Won't you enter into another person's difficulty? It is feeling what others feel so that you can respond with the sensitivity of the gospel and minister to their needs that they might see Christ and be encouraged through the gospel. It's the picture of suffering with another by entering into sharing their feelings rather than simply by having uh, a feeling for them or compassion from them at a distance. Sometimes, man, I can really feel with some of y'all. And then there's other times that I just can't feel with y'all. It's easy for me to enter into sympathy and have sympathy for you and minister to you because I've been there, Right? And then for some of you, I've not been where you are. And so when that trial or that difficulty or that season of rejoicing comes in your life, I may stand back and say, 
I'm having a hard time sympathizing or entering into where that person's at because I'm not there. But nonetheless, it doesn't, watch this, it doesn't negate the responsibility that we have that we ought to try to understand and feel what people are going through. Why? So that we can just say, yeah, I know, I relate, I've been there, done that, I know how you feel, don't ever say that, right? What you are doing is saying, I want to understand where you're at so I know how to pray for you. I want to understand where you're at so I, I can hopefully minister the gospel to you. And I want to know where you're at so when that comes to my life, I've learned from you. Are, are y'all tracking with me today? And so this idea of sympathy, we love one another through demonstrating sympathy. But he also says love one another by demonstrating brotherly love. So this word here, phileo, it's an adjective which conveys the idea of being loving. You are loving brothers and sisters, or you are brothers and sisters who are loving toward one another. The word here does not refer to agape. It's not the love that God has for us or that he produces in our hearts. It's not that kind of love, but it is a human, brotherly or sisterly affection and fondness for one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, as believers, which Peter spoke of when he says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, since you have, a, have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brothers, fervently love one another from the heart. When he says that holiness is marked by sympathy and brotherly love and tenderheartedness, he is saying you ought to try to feel and understand what your brothers and sisters in Christ who are living as sojourners and exiles, what they're going through and what they're feeling like. But then he says you should love each other as genuine brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't love each other like you're loving a fifth or sixth cousin, right? Don't, don't love each other like you're loving someone that you just met. But love each other like you're loving on a physical flesh and blood brother or sister who you have grown up with and that you're doing life with, right? If you come to our house at 8 o'clock at night uh, and you are telling us that you're coming, I'm not going to be there in my uh, sleep shorts and in my t-shirt and in my flip-flops. I'm just not going to greet you that way. If Caleb says, hey, Dad, we're coming home. We're going to be there at 8. If my brother Barry called and said, hey, Ram, we're surprising you. We're in Cave City getting off. I'm not running to the bedroom to change clothes, right? If some of y'all come, I'm going to run to change clothes, right? You say, why would that? Because it's just the way it is. But he's saying, listen to this. We should love one another in such a way that we can disagree and we can still be family. That we can love one another in such a way that we can, watch this, we can grow together in Christ and that we can love one another uh, in times and seasons of rejoicing and in seasons and times of difficulty. What is this now, Pastor? It's the mark of holiness. This picture of holiness, unity of mind, a love, uh, the love of Christ working out of us through sympathy, through brotherly love, and then through what he calls tenderheartedness. 
What is that tenderheartedness? It has this picture of being compassionate and feeling, uh, uh, reflects a feeling deep in the bowels or stomach, a gnawing pain due to not only empathy for someone's needs, but for wanting to let them know that you are with them, letting them know you are for them, and that you are trying to understand uh, and demonstrate the sympathy that he's called. It's the opposite of being hard-hearted. Bruce says it this way, F.F. Bruce, he says, the first century was cold and hard-hearted. He said Christianity, with its tenderizing influence upon the heart, had not, um, had not had time nor opportunity yet to make much of an impact upon the callous heart of men. He goes on to say, today we have as a result of God working in people many influences and benign influences of God making a Christian a tender-hearted individual. From a tender-heartedness has come hospitals and homes for the aged and charities of one sort or of another that minister to people in difficulty. And he says, and yet how callous our hearts are to another's pain. Only the overflowing love of God and the experience of much suffering in one's own life can fit us to really sympathize, to demonstrate a tender hardness with others in the sense of feeling their pain ourselves, thus suffering with them. So he says, you, as marked by holiness, you're not only going to strive toward unity, but you're going to exercise this idea of brotherly love. You're going to demonstrate the love of Christ to other believers. What does that mean? Jesus said it this way. He said, greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. My brothers and sisters, I have a deep question pertaining to the holiness of each and every one of us here at Calvary Baptist Church. Are you listening today? If you are, say amen. I want you to answer this. You may not answer it verbally right now, but I want you to answer it this afternoon. I want you to answer it tomorrow. I want you to answer it this week. Who amongst us are you willing to die for? Who amongst us are you willing to die for? Who do you have such relationship with? It's easy when we talk about family, right? Preacher, would you die for Tracy in a skinny minute? Would you die for Jake? Yep. Kerr, yep. Levi, yep, absolutely. Caleb, yep. Ruthie, yep. Would you lay down your life for them? Yep. If they needed a heart, you'd give them your heart. Yep. Would you do that for Doug Bunch? I don't know. <laughs> Watch this. This brotherly love, this sympathy, this tender-heartedness, are you, are you tracking? Don't miss this. In the context of first century Christian mission, meant who will you open your home to? Who will you lay down your life for? What is the depth of your fellowship together in Christ? I don't want to chase this rabbit long, but to illustrate that point, I would say to you, because somehow ISIS took a stronghold here. 
And if they captured Doug Bunch and they put him in a cage like they did one man in the Middle East, a believing man, a Christian man, they told him to renounce Christ. The man said, no, I'm not going to renounce Christ. If you don't renounce Christ, I'm going to light you on fire. We are going to light you on fire. We're going to video it and we're going to play it for the world. You say, Pastor, would you lay down your life if Doug Bunch was in that cage and they were asking him to renounce Christ? I would say, Doug Bunch, don't do it! Don't do it! Don't renounce Christ! Preacher, they're going to take Lori. They're going to take the kids. Don't do it! Here are Tracy and I. We will come and die with you. But don't renounce Christ, are you tracking with me today? Who will you live for and who will you be willing to die for? And if the question, the answer to that question says, I die for my family, but that's it. I'd pack up shop and run. I'd just try to reopen my house and my business and my life same way, just some other time, some other culture, some other place. I am going to say to you, if that's where you land, you need to say, God, do a deep work in me and I'm not only understanding agape, but understanding the result of agape, which is phileo, to where we have such a deep sense of belonging and community, we would be willing to die for one another. Growing up, the Shaw's Never got along. I'm talking about my biological family. My mom and dad fought like cats and dogs. Me and my two brothers and my sister, we always fought like cats and dogs. You could always tell where people were going to line up. I mean, the house was just in turmoil all the time, something going on. But when seasons were good, they were really good. We laughed hard. We played hard. We'd fish hard. We'd do some unbelievable things together, and we'd do it good. We could be right in the midst of one of those real antagonizing times where nobody inside the house were getting along. But you let our neighbors, the Fitches, you let Charlie Fitch, God rest his soul, say, I'm going to kill that dog and kill your dad. Oh, no, you're not. Here's all the shawls lined up at the fence. Even little Randy, this dog. You want to do this, bitches, right? You say, why would you do such a thing? Didn't matter what was going on inside us, we rallied together. Church family, I have one good bit of application. The world and the leader of this present world system is against you. And he wants the forces of evil to rage against you. He doesn't want you to be marked by the holiness of Christ and he doesn't want you to demonstrate the holiness of Christ in any form or fashion. So with all the world against you, don't you think you ought to shoulder up Christian to Christian, evangelical to evangelical, unity, love, and say, I'm going to demonstrate a spirit of humility in my heart and life so that God can work in me. He says this holiness is marked by unity. 
It demonstrates the love of Christ to other believers. And then he says this, it thinks lowly of themselves and highly of others. He says in verse 8, a humble mind. Holiness is this love, sympathy, tenderness. It's this thinking lowly, this, this spirit of humility. It's the idea of unity. And this idea of, of humility is not a false pretense or thinking bad about ourselves. It is thinking lowly and esteeming ourselves small and viewing ourselves and understanding ourselves, seeing ourselves as God would see us prior to the fall. The idea is that we are all lowly compared to God. This is the way we are to view ourselves and value ourselves. We don't compare ourselves to one another, but we compare ourselves to Christ. And in that light, the New Testament would say, you need to demonstrate the spirit of humility, which is a voluntary submission and unselfishness. It is this idea that we are to avoid arrogance and pride. And so practical holiness voluntarily says, I don't know it all. Therefore, I don't have to have an opinion about everything. Man, I couldn't preach this today until I repented. Say, preacher, how long did it take you to repent this week? Friday, I'm mowing a yard in the rain. Nope. Now, who does that, right? I'm mowing a yard in the rain because I'm wanting to get this, what I felt like would hopefully be the final cutting done. And Friday morning, John Hyde, I'm riding that mower. The grass had not even, the dew had not even dried. The clouds were coming. I knew it was going to rain. Man, I've got that thing in overdrive trying to get that yard done. And I'm fighting that yard like I'm beating the band. And God's just saying, you don't know it all. You could easily have waited and mowed until Monday. That grass isn't going to grow anymore, right? What are you saying, pastor? When he talks about a spirit of humility, holiness produces in us this attitude of, I don't know what everybody else knows, and it's okay that I don't know what everybody else knows. And we're still all accepted by God because compared to God, nobody knows what God knows. This idea of having a big I and a little you, whether it's in the context of church or in the context of family or in the place of employment or on a team or whatever it is, there is no such thing as that if we are believers who are growing in holiness. And then stand to your feet. He gives us two more things. And I would just tell you these five characteristics. This unity of mind, this brotherly love, this spirit of humility that thinks lowly of themselves and highly of others. This idea of avoiding retaliation for evil. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. Right? Jesus had some of his strongest words of condemnation uh, on the Sermon on the Mount when he was talking about, listen, we, we are not like those who are not born again. We are not like those who are unrighteous or unholy. We don't exercise an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. 
Jesus said, I say to you, do not resist him who is evil, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn to him the other as well. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. And whoever shall force you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow. Holiness avoids retaliation and insults and verbal abuse and slander. And what does it do as it avoids that? It extends blessing. He finishes that in verse 9 by saying, but on the contrary, on the contrary of retaliation, he says, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. It means to invoke God's blessing upon them. The Greek word, watch this, the Greek word means this, we are to eulogize, right? So the Greek word is where we get our word eulogize. We're to eulogize others, not waiting until they're dead, but while they're alive. We don't do that in a tongue-in-cheek type manner or in a way to just make them feel good or because it's the right thing to say. But we pray for people and we pray for their welfare and we pray for their protection. We do what God has already said that we do if we're marked by holiness. We try to sympathize with them and demonstrate compassion and tenderheartedness toward them as we love them. We see the good in people rather than the bad. I don't know about you, but I want to be marked by the holiness of God. And I want that practically to work out of me. Don't you? You say, why does he tell us that we shouldn't retaliate, but we should bless? He makes it very clear there. He says, so that you can be blessed, right? He says that as you are blessing others, he says that you may obtain that same kind of blessing. The trial, the persecution, the difficulty we experience on earth in an adverse culture is only intended to prepare us to receive an inheritance and a blessing of glory as we're with the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, my brothers and sisters, won't you pray that God will make you a picture of practical holiness, right? How many of you want to go to heaven and you want to have no doubt that you're going to heaven? Will you raise your hand high? Now watch this. Don't raise your hand. But that response should be the very same response when I ask the question, how many of you want to be a picture of practical holiness and allow Jesus to live his life out of you? Don't raise your hand, but that should be our response. God greater at work in me with each and every passing day so that he might receive glory as he demonstrates his holiness in a culture that is counter to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, would you work in us? God, thank you for preaching to me 1 Peter chapter 3, long before uh, God, I was able to share this word to your, here today. Father, I pray, God, today that you would mark our church it, with and in holiness. That, God, we would be a people who are set apart and that theologically we would understand what it means to be holy even as you're holy because, God, you took all of our sin at the cross and you gave us all of your righteousness. 
And then, God, I pray that you would work out of us in such a clear and evident way that people around us can see the very holiness of God. So, Lord, today, I ask that you would give us, Lord, a unity of mind, the love of Christ for one another and for others. And that, that should be seen in tenderness and sympathy and a brotherly and sisterly love for one another. God, I pray today that you would give us a spirit of real humility, a spirit of meekness and lowliness, understanding, God, who we were before Christ. And God, only because of Christ, Lord, can we stand, can we speak, can we have our being only because of the grace of our Lord. God, I pray today that you would, God, mark us with a heart to want to avoid retaliation. We don't want to render evil for evil. God, we don't want to slander and revile. But God, we want to bless. Lord, I pray that our lives would not be marked by cursing. But God, our lives would be marked by blessing. Thank you for your faithfulness. You're thankful to be born again. And that God is working in you and out of you you affirm that by saying amen God work in us as your people as we sing this song of response I pray God that you would allow us to come and pray that as we sing we would make this our prayer that God you would increase in us God that we would decrease for your glory and honor as we sing I want to invite you to come Whatever spiritual needs you have, whatever needs you have in your life, I would love to pray with you, talk with you, hear your heart, and be able to uh, re rejoice with you together. Won't you come?